yeah, so I did some fancy parenting with uh, Simone. I, you know, normally she'd be napping, but I, I kept her awake as long as possible. She was so upset with me. The podcast is more important than the health and well-being of your infant child. Uh, she's still na- she's still she's still napping. I just, you know, got it to be a little later. Welcome to Joe Picks, an NFL team. In this podcast, Joe, abandoned by his San Diego Chargers, is evaluating all 32 teams to find out who he should root for next season. Today is a special doubleheader episode where we're going to record two episodes back to back. Uh, It will appear as two separate podcasts on your feed, but they should be released uh, within a day of each other. So everybody out there, get excited. Your uh, your feed's going to be dominated by the Joe Picks and NFL team podcast. So let's get started. What do Manchester United, the New York Yankees, FC Barcelona, and Real Madrid have in common? They can all kiss Jerry Jones's ring, or his Super Bowl ring even, because they are all worth less than today's team, the Dallas Cowboys, America's team, the most valuable franchise in the world, according to Forbes magazine. And Forbes magazine once did a little feature about thumbtacks, so you know they are legit. Joe. Are you excited? I am really excited to be talking about Dallas. You know, I I feel like Dallas is the closest thing that San Diego has to an NFL team right now. They are America's team. San Diego, without any other team, they are in America. So, I mean, this is practically my hometown team. That's true. Although, if they if when uh, your team had moved to LA. They had gone with the Southern California Chargers. That would have been more specific. I, I mean, I don't even know if we'd be doing this podcast at that point. But look, Dallas is America's team. San Diego's in America. Maybe this is it. Dan, uh, quick, quick uh, point of clarification. How much of this episode will you be doing in a Dallas accent? Uh, well, since I hate the Dallas Cowboys and I've never been to Texas, I'm just going to stick with my normal Washington, D.C. accent which is going to be as opposite as the Texas accent as you can get. I hope that you won't be bringing your personal bias into this episode. I absolutely will be, and I will do my best to portray the Dallas Cowboys in as negative a light as possible. But oh, I'll tell you. There's already a giant asterisk here. All of our Dallas fans are going to be shouting from the rooftops. Well, you know, we'll see. That's just the way the podcast goes, Joe. But you you make the scores. I don't make the scores. You can feel free to uh, adjust to whatever bias I'm putting down. Giant grain of salt for everything you say right now, Dan. All right. So, Dan, what are we drinking this week? Well, it's a simple, simple week. We're just drinking whiskey. In the Wild West, whiskey was a common drink among cowboys, though what they drank was probably very different we're drinking now. It almost certainly wasn't aged, and it probably had a higher alcohol content. And quality control was an issue, so when you went to the uh, local saloon, you really never knew what you were going to get, but we're cowboys, so you don't give a shit. You just want to get drunk. Dan, what whiskey are you drinking? I'm drinking your favorite, Maker's Mark. See, I, and now I know this is kind of breaking the rules of our podcast, I did a little bit of research on my own to try and pick a whiskey. I wanted to see if there's any whiskeys that were uh, distilled in Texas. I didn't find that, but I did find that Johnny Walker is Jerry Jones's favorite whiskey. So that's what I'm drinking today. Oh, very nice. Which color? Uh, black. His favorite is blue, but uh, oh. you know who can afford that? Yeah. Well, you don't have the most valuable franchise in the world. <laughs> exactly. Also, let the record state that it is right now 12.45 p.m. and I woke up at 11 a.m. 
So this is uh, highly irregular. I mean, I'm drinking whiskey, and I'm also the sole, sole child care for my daughter right now. So let's <laughs> just put that out there. This podcast might be evidence in court in the future. <laughs> it's, a, it's a small glass, as you can attest. It's true. But it is the first part of a doubleheader, Joe. So keep it, just, keep it just together. Just wetting my beak. Yeah. All right. So before we jump into the, uh, the Dallas Cowboys first, we're going to open up the mailbag. And we've got a great entry this week from Superfan Tony. All right. What we got? For the rest of you, if you're interested, we actually didn't mention this on the podcast last week, so it's even more exciting that Tony figured out how to do it. But <laughs> if you have feedback to send, good or bad, send it to NFL at JoePicksPod.com or just go to JoePicksPod.com and the link's on there. And what you can do is what Superfan Tony did this week, and he gave us his own feedback on our last two episodes, on both the Denver Broncos episode and he clarified something that we weren't sure about in the Cleveland Brown episode. So if you're out there, if you have feedback about today's episode, the second part of the doubleheader, or when we announce the upcoming teams, if you have feedback about those, get it in. We'll definitely read it on the podcast. Another good way to give feedback, Dan, that you should mention is giving us a ratings on the iTunes or Google Play Store. Yes, that's true. Even if you don't listen. Although, really, those ratings, all that matters is like getting you on the top lists, which we are so far away from. <laughs> really makes If you're going to give us feedback, send us an email. Email. Don't, email. don't leave a rating. Okay. But also leave a rating. All right. If you want. Okay. So the first start for the Denver Broncos episode, our last episode, Superfan Tony said, don't know why both of you are all in a Romo. He's better than these guys, but also is on the market for a reason. Can't stay healthy and now older. It's a good point. We were, I think, both pretty high on Romo. But I think what Tony's missing is that if Romo's healthy, he's really, really good. Um, but it is true that we're talking about the Peyton Manning thing and Peyton Manning outside of the one year he missed, you know, when his neck stopped working, he, he basically had never missed a game over like his entire career before that. So, but I do think that Romo does benefit in the public perception from how well the Peyton Manning experiment worked out. Because I remember when he went to Denver and everyone saying, oh, this guy just had this major neck surgery. He might never be able to throw again. And then obviously went on to have, you know, a few great seasons. So, um, and, and win a Super Bowl. So I can see how Tony does have a point. It could get dangerous to conflate what's happening with Romo now with what happened with Peyton Manning then. But it still is an exciting thing for whatever team gets him. If I were a fan of any team, I would be excited if they signed Tony Romo. Absolutely. I mean, I just his career quarterback rating is 97. He's such an upgrade over, frankly, Peyton Manning's Super Bowl year or last year that, you know, it is a risk. Look, right. he might get injured, but you know what? 32 teams try to win the Super Bowl, only one team does. So you, you're going to have to take risks. And I get Tony's point about there being a reason why he's on the market, but I would say that that reason he's on the market has more to do with Dak Prescott than it does with Tony Romo's injury concerns. Definitely, which what a great episode we're doing. To We'll definitely be talking about that. And his second thing uh, in the email for our Cleveland Browns episode was a nice bit of uh, – inside info so we were discussing who the browns biggest rival was and you know we mm -hmm. weren't sure tony is clarifying it but he says there's no clear answer he says it really depends which browns fans you ask because all three teams have a compelling case pittsburgh is the same kind of industrial town with super annoying fans mm -hmm. cincinnati is an in-state rival and uh we're also owned by paul brown who the person the browns were named after and the ravens are the former team stolen from the city if you judge it based on the reverse, which is like what teams the other teams think their biggest rival is, 
He said Cincinnati and Baltimore fans would probably say Pittsburgh is their biggest rival. Pittsburgh would say the Ravens are their biggest rival. So unfortunately for the Browns, it's the old adage that it's only considered a rivalry if one side is competitive. I think Tony is is in the same place that we are, that they aren't good enough to have a rivalry. And uh, they each it it depends on, uh, I guess, whatever uh, a a Browns fan sort of picks their poison, which team they hate the most. Right. And I think that you could argue that that means that they actually don't have a true rivalry because I think that the best rivalries can stand the test of whether or not a team is good or not. Like a Yankees fan will always hate the Red Sox, even in a season where the Red Sox is are bad. And the reverse is true as well. So, um, you, you know, that's not, I don't think the Chargers really have a true rival either. If the Chargers are bad, no one really gives a shit about them. Uh, yet it's only when they're good that they have all these natural rivalries. Yeah. I mean, as a Washington football fan, when we have bad seasons, uh, which, you know, it's common though not as much recently i would still watch the cowboys games as long as we beat the cowboys i mean there was one season i think we won four or five games but we beat the cowboys twice and knocked them out of the playoffs and i that was a great season and both games were like ridiculous uh comeback victories so i but you know that's a true rivalry and uh right right, exactly all right mailbag well thanks Uh, tony yeah great emails tony also Gave us a lot of feedback uh, for our Philadelphia episode, which is coming up. Tony used to live in Philadelphia and so had some insight into that as well. But we'll get into that in the Great. second Looking leg of our doubleheader. Keep let's, it coming, Tony. Let's jump right into uh, analyzing the, the Dallas Cowboys. So number one, we don't want a team that's too good or too bad. Uh, so f- to start with, their Super Bowl odds are the best of any team we've looked at. Their Super Bowl odds are 11 to 1. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. In a new little thing I'm adding in, I'm going to tell you how many past Super Bowls they've won, too, because I think um, if a team has never won a Super Bowl, it's it's sort of a different feel than if a team at least has some pedigree, maybe not recently, but historically. And the Cowboys definitely have a pedigree. They've won five Super Bowls in the past. Yeah, you know, I think the... um Interesting question about the Cowboys of are they too good or are they too bad? I mean, first of all, they're not too bad. So we can just kind of take that off the list. They're they're a good team right now with also a strong history. But they might be too good. And I think the question is, how much is this a historic rating versus a like in this exact moment, time and place? Because you know, it's been a, a while since their last Super Bowl appearance. Absolutely. And so let's let's just jump right into it. We're going back to our game, top third, middle third, bottom third, because I think uh, for both these teams, it's very interesting. So let's start over the past 10 seasons with their win percentage. Uh, Top third, middle third, or bottom third of the NFL? Win percentage, I'm going to say middle third. Playoff wins. Top third, middle third, bottom third. Uh, I'm going to say middle third again. And number of times they've made the playoffs. Top third, middle third, bottom third. In 10 years, probably middle third again. All right. Two out of three. (laughs) <laughs> that's like the best I've done so far. Very nice. Yeah. Hey, congratulations. Yeah. You're not going to snatch th- this uh, score away from me like you did last week. No, I'm not. No. Well, the Oscars okay. thing's long in the past. <laughs> um, so their win percentage is actually the top third. So you're right about playoff wins. You're right about mm. making the playoffs. But they actually have this great win percentage. They're sixth in the NFL in win percentage wow. over the last 10 wow. years. 57%. The thing about the Cowboys is they've always been terrible in the playoffs. So they've made the playoffs four times. 
which is just uh, right uh, in the middle. And I think two of the teams we've looked at have uh, made the playoffs four times too. But they've only won two playoff games, which is, I mean, and they have lost these playoff games in the most ridiculous of ways. I mean, the playoff game against the Green Bay Packers this year was just a gut-wrenching loss uh, with uh, that last second play. I mean, Aaron Rodgers was just out of his mind. Uh, I remember they and won. Had like botched field goal attempts. Yeah, that, right? I, yeah. I think it was a, an extra point. And yep. you know, Tony Romo, he holds he the ball, this, fumbles, yeah, he fumbles the, the yeah, hold, and then right. he's running for the end zone. It looks like he's just going to get the two point conversion, which would actually give them the victory. You know, this was back before the uh, extra point was moved back, and then he gets tackled, a shoestring tackle from behind, and comes up a yard short. Ugh. And as a as a uh, person who hates the Cowboys. I enjoyed you took great relish. joy in this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean the the Green Bay Packers game especially, that was of any football game I watched, other than perhaps the Super Bowl itself, the Super Bowl was depressing and heartbreaking, whereas this Green Bay Packers game was beautiful and uplifting. It it was one of the most exciting football games I've watched in recent history. And both of the field goal attempts, like the Green Bay Packers had to kick these two fifty yard plus field goals, one to get the lead initially, which then the Cowboys matched, and then one to win the game. Both of them looked like they were going to miss horribly. Like the first one looked like this weird knuckleball that was going to hook off to the right, but it somehow stays in. And then the second one looks like it missed to the left, but then it just sneaks in the upright. And I was just imagining if you're a Cowboys fan <laughs> watching and you're like, just how yes, painful that they is. missed. <laughs> and uh, Cousin Sal, who, by the way, is the all-star of the Cousin Sal and Bill Simmons podcast, on the uh, first field goal, or Bill Simmons said, why didn't, uh, you know, the Cowboys have got some like six foot 10 guy. Why don't they do that thing where he just stands at the line and tries to jump over? And Cousin Sal had my favorite joke of the entire NFL season where he says, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. The kick started off 15 yards to the left. And it's true <laughs> that if you would watch it, it's it just looks so left from the beginning and then starts knuckling right and it looks like it's going to hook right. And it just somehow goes in. I could just imagine every... All people throughout oh, it's Texas. It's got to be so brutal. They're just like, so oh, it, he missed it. And then it somehow goes in. Oh, it's beautiful, yeah. beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. But anyways. You would say that that playoff game was the most painful thing of the NFL season had you not watched the Super Bowl two weeks later. Yeah. The Super Ugh. <laughs> can't even get I mean, it. We'll get to that in our Falcons episode, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, poor Falcons. Uh, but anyway, so that that's what you're looking at. You're looking at a team that's it's a quality team. They have this very high win rate, and this is over the past 10 years so you know they have good seasons and bad seasons but generally outside of one season which was uh recently where they were uh, last season before this one where they're four and 12 in the past three seasons they've won 12 games then they had the bad year four games and then 13 games last year and i mean last year they were just a great team dvoa had them as second best team in the nfl so this is certainly a, a team on the rise they've got very good Super Bowl odds, their fourth best Super Bowl odds. But at the same time, it's a team that, frankly, has a recent history of choking in the playoffs that goes back 20 years. I mean, they're just, you know, when when the after the game happened, you know, the cousin Sal, who's it's also interesting because he's, of course, a huge Cowboys fan. You know, he, he's just come to expect choking in the playoffs. And I think that's sort of part of the, the Dallas ethos. You know, I I think that the... Cowboys are interesting because if you were to just take them right now as they are, even just taking a snapshot of the last 10 years, you'd say, what a perfect team for the not too good, not too bad ranking, because they're certainly not bad. They're good, but they haven't won it recently. 
Uh, and in fact, like you're saying, they have this problem in the playoffs. So they're sort of like an underdog in that way once they get to the playoffs, no matter how how actually good they are. Definitely. The one the one problem with the Cowboys, though, is they are such a historically dominant team. In fact, like their moniker of being America's team partially derives from like their the sort of bandwagon nature of their fan base and the fact that uh, they have a broad broad appeal. And and sort of the point of this ranking is no one wants to say like, oh, I'm picking a Premier League team. I'm going to root for Man United or I'm picking a baseball team. I'm going to root for the Yankees. And I think the question is, are the Cowboys, even if they're in a uh, sort of a drought right now by their own standards, are they the Yankees of the NFL? And I don't think I I, I can definitively answer that, but I, I am going to maybe knock them down a point or two on this uh, because I am worry that they're maybe historically a little too good, that a Super Bowl victory would feel a little hollow because it's just one of many in their history. So uh, I I think I'm going to go with a seven and a half out of 10. Seven and a half out of 10. Okay. So you're saying the Broncos are slightly better in the too good, too bad. Slightly better. Yeah. Okay. On to number two. What does Joe think about the division? So as a a uh, fan of a team in this division. I'm quite familiar with it. And I think the NFC East has some uh, interesting characteristics to it. First of all, it's got two great nicknames, where when the NFC East is filled with teams that are doing terribly, it's the NFC Least. And when the teams are all doing well, it's the NFC Beast, which I think is great. Because the NFC West, you know, which has your Seattle Seahawks, they've got the moniker nfc best when things are going well but they do not have a similar moniker when things are going bad so the division goes both ways great moniker it has the most super bowls of any division so the nfc east has 12 super bowls five for dallas four for the new york football giants and three for my washington professional football team and the next best is the afc east which has eight so if you're looking at a historically great Super Bowl winning division that you just can't get any better mm-hmm. than the mm-hmm. NFC East, uh, what's also going for it is it's been a really competitive division recently. So first of all, last year, the worst team in the NFC East was seven and nine, and every team had a positive point differential. So it, it was four good teams last year. Every team in the NFC East has been to the playoffs in the past four seasons, so you don't have any teams mired in mediocrity. In the past eight years, it's pretty even. The Cowboys have won the NFC East three times, the Eagles twice, the Redskins twice, and the Giants once. But when we're getting to their actual championship success, since 2002, the division has won two Super Bowls, both of them the Giants, and it's sent three teams to the Super Bowl the 2004 Eagles, the 2007 Giants, and the 2011 Giants. And both times the Giants won, both times to beat the Patriots, which is the only time I will ever root for the Giants, but both of those victories were great. So I, in, in um, recent history, going back 15 years, I would say the division slightly underperformed in terms of Super Bowl victories and sending teams to the Super Bowl. But uh, overall, it's a competitive division, Four great teams with storied histories and definitely a lot of rivalries. You know, I don't know if, if you have this sense as someone who is a fan of the NFC East, but certainly from someone from the outside, I have uh, 
my, my entire football fandom been so frustrated by the amount of attention that the NFC East gets relative to other divisions. You know, it feels like anytime you turn on ESPN, they're talking about some rivalry, some player in the NFC East. It it seems like there's six and ten team in the NFC East gets more attention than a ten and six team in almost any other division. Now, as a fan from outside the division, that's very frustrating. But in the position that I'm in now, where you can pick a division, why wouldn't I want to be a fan of the division that gets the most coverage, the most attention? I'm sure if you broke it down. I would guess the most primetime games. Almost certainly. We'll we'll get to that later, but Dallas is I think a, a lot of that causes this is centered around Dallas. They generate publicity. Absolutely. I'm sure they ha- they're huge for ratings. So so if if part of this is being part of a team where uh the games are easily accessible, it feels like there's excitement and energy around the team. Look, I don't want to, you know, go too far overboard, but I'm almost tempted to give this whole division a 10 out of 10. Uh, look, I, as somebody who's in the division, I think this is the most interesting division in football, certainly Absolutely. right now. And I think historically, too, it, it's got great rivalries. And again, I think it can't be understated how great it is to have a division where every team is not only competitive, I mean, Right now, every team had a positive point differential last year, but but going back over you know the last four years, every team has won. Every team could win every mm-hmm. season, and mm-hmm. it, it actually had the interesting mm-hmm. thing where I think four seasons in a row in the past, the team that finished last in the division won the next year. So it's a it's a division with parity. It's a division with um. It, this happened last year too. The Cowboys were four and twelve one year ago, and this year they went thirteen and three. And I enjoy rooting against the Giants. I enjoy, you know, I I imagine I would enjoy rooting against the Redskins because you're a fan of them, so we could have good banter there. So yeah, I think yeah. that there are actually some really solid rivalries that would be fun to root against. So yeah, I'm going to go 10 out of 10 on this. And uh, for those listening, the second half of our doubleheader is going to be the Eagles. So I'm just going to pre-write in that score. Well, 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 hold on, though. Hold on. Oh, no. It might still be a 10 out of 10. But one interesting thing is that thinking about the division from the Cowboys perspective means that there's three other teams that don't include the Cowboys. Thinking about it from the Eagles perspective means that one of those teams now is the Cowboys. So I'm not saying it will be different, okay. but I, I don't think that it's automatically the same. All right, we'll save it for the second part. I'll delete the score I've written in. We'll get to that in the second part of our doubleheader. 10 out of 10. Like, it's the first time I fully yeah. agree with it. Does the head coach meet a minimum threshold of competence? So this is, Ooh. I think, our first time we're getting a head coach that Finally. has a has track, some record. track record. He's yeah. been around. And I've also, instead, I've seen Jason Garrett play enough games. I could already form an opinion of him i could talk about him but i've just found this roto roto world uh article that lists all uh that ranks all nfl head coaches and puts a little ditty about them so i'm just gonna read their work because these people know more about football than i do uh so they ranked him 12th out of 26 head coaches in the nfl and uh for reference that we've looked at two rookie head coaches which they haven't ranked and hugh jackson they ranked 19th, who was the only head coach that's been around for more than a year. So Jason Garrett is the highest ranked coach we've looked at thus far. And if I recall, not only um, has he been around, but he came up through their system. Like he was an offensive coordinator and had other roles with the team too. Is that right? I have no idea. 
All right. Yeah. Well, it's fine. <laughs> Quote, they didn't change a damn thing at coach, keeping Jason Garrett after a 29 and 27 start to his career. Their reward has been one of the NFL's clearest identities. Control the ball on offense, bend but don't break on defense. Two 12-win seasons in the past three years with two different quarterbacks, no less. Owner Jerry Jones has found his desperately sought return to relevance in the most surprising of places. Patience. Garrett is not a future Bill Belichick or even Andy Reid. Given enough chances to implement his formula, he just might be the man to bring the Lombardi back to Dallas. I feel like saying that you're not a future Andy Reid is actually a compliment. So, uh, <laughs> Wow. I, that's good. There, this article is higher on Andy Reid, but we'll get to that when we get there. But yeah. I think this is what you're getting. You're getting a coach that, and we'll get to this later when it comes to uh, their style of play, but I'll just say it now. The Dallas Cowboys ran the ball at a higher percentage than any other team in the NFL last year. So this is a team that's just going to bully the other team. They've got the offensive line to do it, and that's what Jason Garrett does. You know, he's not necessarily getting too cute. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Jason Garrett is not necessarily an exciting coach, and I think that uh, I think it's uh, it's accurate to say he's not a future Bill Belichick, and he's tested enough that you sort of know his limitations and oh i will at- say it, it can't be gone without saying that uh one thing a knock on jason garrett which i think is a knock on a lot of nfl coaches his time management in critical game situations is and has been terrible in the game against the green bay packers they had a first down you know on like the 40 yard line or whatever and they go up and spike the ball which is just of all the possible things you could do there short of like taking the snap and handing the ball to the defense is the worst possible thing to do. He had a timeout and that basically cost them a chance at scoring a touchdown, beating the the Packers. I mean, they very easily could have won that game. It basically forced them to kick a 50 yard field goal to tie and then gave enough time for Aaron Rodgers to have the miracle comeback. So it, it it's, it's the type of thing you get where, I mean, Andy Reid obviously has this vice too. And frankly, Bill Belichick has made mistakes in time management as well, but he's definitely blown it in many late game situations. I think a lot of people who are calling for his head uh, says he's just the type of coach that sort of chokes in the, uh, the critical moments of the game. Certainly yeah, in time which management. Can be very frustrating for a fan, especially those time management mistakes. I'm looking right now and uh, there does seem to be a fairly active fire Jason Garrett.com website, including a uh, GoFundMe page for a dear Jerry Jones fire Jason Garrett, uh, billboard where they're trying to raise $2,500 for a beer for a billboard in Dallas. So look, I mean, I think this does seem like a guy who there is some frustration around, uh, though, as I think I come back to every week, this question is about competence, not about being a great NFL head coach. It sounds like he's competent in some areas, maybe uh, not competent when it comes to time management, which like I said, can just be so frustrating for a fan when you're watching a game and you and you're just like, why won't you hire someone to tell you when to call a timeout? I mean, when Dak Prescott spiked the ball, I was so happy because I'm just watching the game and I'm like, I mean, they were just gaining 20 yards on every play. Just keep right. run, whatever, pass the right. ball to the middle, run the ball. And they spiked it and it was like, oh, they just gave up a down for nothing. 
you know, it was it was great. And when there are certain decisions like that, where like there are actual statistical analyses that can tell you what the best thing to do in that situation is, but you as a coach don't listen to it, it just uh, it's infuriating for fans. So, uh, you know, if I keep talking about this, I'm going to keep lowering the rating, but let's just give him a six out of 10. Six out of 10, he's, which is the highest confident, thus far. been there for a while. Oh, wow. OK, well, you know, good for him. Ah, I okay. think it's fair. I, I frankly and, and if you look at um the Roto World ranking, 12th out of 26. I think that mm-hmm. probably comes to about 6 out of 10. Yep. So, Yep. Okay. Okay. So number four, do the players get in trouble with the law? Uh, in the past five years, do you think the Dallas Cowboys are the don't get in trouble with the law about average or get in trouble more than average? I'm going to say more than average. Oh, you'd be dead wrong. They are in <laughs> the... I'm... They're so in the bad at this. Bottom third. They uh, they've only had five incidents in the past five years, though there are some uh, issues. Ezekiel Elliott um, has a uh, domestic violence charge that's that's sort of weaving its way through. Uh, I don't know if it's going through the courts or whatever. But uh, the 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 thing I want to bring up, and though a lot of this podcast is in uh jest and uh we make fun of these stupid crimes this is a really serious thing that happened and it's really sad um and i'm only bringing it up because i have to it's my duty for our podcast listeners but take no joy in this um it's you know it's sad when anything really heinous happens um but this one involved two cowboy players and and i remember watching this on tv and seeing this sort of play out uh so here we go on december 8th 2012 right in the middle of the season the day before a cowboys game at two in the morning cowboy josh brent was driving himself and another cowboy teammate josh brown uh josh brent was intoxicated he had just come from like a party with a bunch of cowboy players he was speeding they estimate his car was going anywhere from 110 miles an hour to 134 miles an hour hit a curb car flipped over josh brown who was in the car was killed in the accident. Josh Brent was eventually found guilty of intoxicated manslaughter and served a jail sentence. In sort of a bit of an awkward situation, you know, the team sort of rallied around their, I mean, they were just on a team and one of their teammates right, died. Right. It's, it's a really tragic thing to happen. Uh, and, you know, even more heartbreaking, the, the sort of cause of that death was another one of their teammates. But um, the team sort of rallied around Josh Brent and uh for their he sat out the the so the next game they had which was a day later or two days later they won in sort of a um the team sort of rallied together um and then their next game a week later was against the Pittsburgh Steelers and they invited Josh Brent to sort of be on the sideline to to show that his teammates were supporting him um but the commentators and social media were sort of uh very against this and it's sort of an interesting thing because josh brown's mother was vocal in support of josh brent she was saying she was basically basically was trying to do everything she could to sort of uh support him understanding Mm -hmm. it's a tough thing but at the same time you you can understand how the commentators and social media was sort of uh horrified by this a little bit uh at halftime he sort of heard this was happening and he uh josh brent asked just to 
leave the sidelines. And then the NFL and Cowboys sort of banned him from being with the team for the rest of that season as his sort of thing weaved his way through the court system. And he, he ended up spending jail time and he's still on probation. But uh, if there's sort of a happy ending to this story, although obviously it's a very negative story, uh, Josh Brent, who's now 29, is is now an employee of the Dallas Cowboys. He's an intern in the club scouting department. And basically everybody on the team says he's a changed man. He's started speaking to youth groups about, you know, the trouble with being drinking and driving. And, you know, he's obviously had a horrible thing happen to him. But, you know, that's uh, definitely the the most, the, the biggest illegal incident or sad incident that's that's happened with the Cowboys in, in recent history. Yeah, I mean, to have a serious conversation about that, I mean, I think, I think, uh, I definitely believe that there should be strong consequences for drunk driving. And obviously anytime uh, life is lost, it's like that's like the worst possible outcome. But I also believe in forgiveness. And I mean, how horrific must it be for that person who, um, through their own mistake, obviously, uh, you know, loses a friend and a teammate, you know, it's it's uh, and they have been teammates in not to say that there's any way to it wouldn't be horrible if you weren't the role, but they'd been teammates in college. They were teammates on the Cowboys. They were incredibly right. close friends. Right. So, you know, I mean, some of this and and some of this, I think, you know, with a lot of these crimes we talk about, obviously, in a joking way. But there is a piece of this where I do strongly believe that these that the management of these teams and the NFL itself is very culpable here, where, you know, you give millions of dollars to 22 year old kids uh, with almost no boundaries like the shit that I would do was pretty stupid too when I was 22 years old. And it's like, you're a billion, multi-billion dollar franchise. You can't hire a driver for these guys. There's got there. You have seven of the people partying at a club. Just have seven right. drivers there. Take them wherever they need to go. Right. right. So look, not to, not to take away anyone's culpability here. These are all adults making choices and some of them are good and some of them are bad. There is culpability in that like, people should be put in an environment where it is easier for them to do the right thing than the wrong thing. And I think it's a shame that a lot of these NFL teams still haven't figured out how to build the support around their team uh, in order to keep these situations from happening. And maybe, you know, maybe this incident was a way of Dallas. I don't know if there's been changes, if there's been reforms, if the Cowboys have woken up and maybe changed some things. And again, they have, they have had the least incidents both in the past five years and since uh, 2000. But they have had two separate incidents, this one and one in the past involving a player driving drunk and at the result of it, other people died. Yeah, that's that's obviously a, a very serious thing. But, you know, I think it is as much on these players who are making that that bad decision as it is on the team for not putting the yeah. right supports around their players. So, I agree. Yeah, let's let's go uh, three out of ten on this one. OK, now. All that serious stuff beside him. Let's let's go to can't root for a team that Rob roots for. What does Rob think about the Dallas Cowboys? All right. So let's go to Rob. Rob ranked the Dallas Cowboys third from the bottom. So they are wow. almost his least favorite team in the NFL. And when I asked him for his one sentence thought, first of all, he wrote like four sentences. So, um, you know, he, he said the NFL are the biggest bandwagon or sorry. The Dallas Cowboys are the biggest bandwagon fans in the NFL. Like Man U fans, most of the Cowboy fans aren't even from there. Oh. 
So Rob does not like the Cowboys. And, you know, real quick, Dan, just to defend my my can't root for a team that Rob roots for ranking, because I know that this has gotten some flack. People say this is too personal. We don't know Rob. We can't relate to this. I would just say, uh, you know, you don't have to think about Rob specifically. Rob is a type. And I think every friend group has a Rob in it. It has that guy that you like, you invite to places, uh, but is also kind of a dick. And I want people who are listening to think about the Rob in their friend group and think if you actually would want to be high-fiving that person at a sports bar when your team scores. And I don't think you would. I don't think anyone wants that. And I would say, if you're thinking about your friend group and you can't think of a Rob in your friend group, then I would suggest that maybe you are the Rob of your friend group. But on the corollary, if you have a friend you actually like, say, like say super fan Tony, who's a friend of mine, wouldn't you want to root for a team that he roots for so you could be high-fiving him at the game? Yeah, I don't like most of my friends. <laughs> well, I know. That's... <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't have a friend version of Rob that I, that I would want to root with. All right. Well, so what do you give it? I mean, if he ranks it pretty low, it's got to be yeah, good for I you. Mean, look, this is, this is going to be, this is going to be, I mean, third, third from the bottom. Okay. Let's just say this is a nine out of 10 here. He hates the Cowboys. All right. Nine out of 10. Number six, is this a city I would enjoy visiting to go to a game? So I have personally never been to Texas one time. I once went to a wedding in Arizona that was being hosted on the ranch of a super rich guy from Oklahoma. And so there were a bunch of really rich girls from Oklahoma who talked about how they went to Dallas to go shopping. The same way somebody in LA might talk about going to Rodeo Drive. They were talking mm, about going mm, to Dallas. Sure. So that's my first experience <laughs> with the concept of Dallas. Uh, a couple other important factors. JFK was assassinated there. So that's a that's a con. It's a con. The George W. Bush Presidential Library is there. That's a con. And when I went to the TripAdvisor Top 10, uh, the JFK like um, repository, the sixth floor of that thing is a, uh, that's like one of their main tourist destinations, which I think would actually be interesting to go to. Though also like a little creepy, like do you go to the window and... Like if you're looking, I don't know, that's a little weird. Uh, okay. You definitely go to the window. Come on. I'd go to the window. I'd be interested. But then it lists other things like the zoo, the museum of art. And by the way, having gone to visit or having gone to this TripAdvisor site for all these cities, every city, it's like without doubt, the zoo's in the top 10, the botanical gardens in the top 10, the museum of arts in the top 10. Just go to those places in your own city. Why do you need to travel to a distant city to go to a fucking zoo? Go Especially if every city has a good one. Well, go to your local zoo, and then when you're going to Dallas, do something unique to Dallas. So I agree. A giraffe is a fucking giraffe, no yeah. matter what city you're in. doesn't matter. Go. So Dallas yeah. has... I think the JFK thing is interesting, going to that. Uh, well, it's If you want to go to the George W. Bush Presidential Library, you're good there. They apparently have great barbecue. And if you're going to Dallas to watch a game, we'll get into this a little more in the owner section... But the stadium is the largest stadium in the NFL. It's got that massive screen. I think if you're going to a game, you're going to have an enjoyable experience at AT&T Stadium. Are punters still hitting the screen with the kicks? Is that Did they fix that problem? It's never happened in a game, but it's <laughs> happened in warm-ups. They always talk about it. I thought that was interesting. One thing I liked about the stadium is 
you know, I like watching NFL games where there's like snow or I just like watching when anything like when the replacement refs were there. I thought it was more fun. I just watched when anything crazy could happen. And when they opened the stadium, they were like, punters might hit this thing. I was like, how exciting yeah. would that be it's a wild if they card. punted it's a wild the ball the game. and Absolutely. then the person is doing the fair catch and then has to make a motion like, oh, no, it hit the video screen. <laughs> um, look, I've, I've only been to Dallas to go to the airport. And um, I know the AT&T Stadium is pretty big, but my my assumption is they haven't moved an airport into the stadium. They so have not. The, the odds of me going that. to Dallas... The odds of me going to Dallas outside of going to a game are very, very slim. In fact, I would say that it is like probably the fourth, even if I had to choose a city in Texas, it's the fourth city in Texas I'd want to go to. I'd want to go to Austin first. Definitely want to go to San Antonio first. Pretty interested in Houston. And then, uh, you know, pretty interested in Dillon, Texas, the fictional <laughs> city in Friday Night Lights before I'd want to go to Dallas. So it's not even the top city I'd want to go to in Texas. Uh, I just can't. The only reason why I would ever go would be to see a game at that stadium, which means that if I decide to root for Dallas, the odds of me actually ever seeing a Cowboys game live in person in their home stadium is almost nothing. So uh, I am going to give them a what did I give Cleveland? Do you have that easily accessible? I do. You gave Cleveland a four out of ten. Okay, I would rather go to Cleveland. No. I'd rather go to Cleveland. So I'm going to give Dallas a two out of 10. Wow. That's not interested. Our Texas listeners are very upset. Or maybe they're not. I don't know. I, I should Look, have asked Megan, who went to college in uh, Austin and grew up for at least part of her life in Texas, what she thinks of Dallas. But I did not. I did not do I that say, critical research. I have blind spots in my interest and knowledge of US cities. If our Dallas listeners want to write in, with compelling reasons for me to visit Dallas, I will happily retroactively adjust this rating. All right. Well, what Joe, retroactively adjusting the ratings. That's crazy. I'll do it. That's crazy. I'll do stuff. it, Dan. I'll do it. All right. Well, I might not allow it, but we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Number seven. And, you know, it's a tough thing. Number six, get a two out of 10, but I feel a recovery is coming. Does the team have player or players I could put on a fantasy roster? Oh, my and God. And this is our first team that we've covered thus far that is just absolutely gangbusters for fantasy so there's just so much to like in almost every position the only position dallas was not playable at was defense quarterback Dak prescott he was sixth in fantasy points at that position six rushing touchdowns 23 passing touchdowns only four interceptions and you know he was the type of player that if you drafted him he was a late round draft pick because you know people had no idea what People this year had no idea what the Cowboys going to were going to do because both their quarterback and their running back Ezekiel Elliott were rookies. Yeah, yeah. Ezekiel Elliott absolutely—he's uh, only the number two running back, only because the number one running back David Johnson had just this absolutely historic year. But he was the number two running back by points, number one running back in the league by yardage by a, a mile. He, I think, he had three hundred yards on the second best person. As it's just David Johnson had a ton of receiving yards as well. Ezekiel Elliott, second in, in fantasy points, 1,600 yards rushing, 15 touchdowns, just absolute beast. He was the star of one of my fantasy winning teams. I believe the one in your league, which is great. You have two wide receivers that were playable. Dez, he, he didn't quite have a great year. I mean, Dak Prescott... As we've uh, covered before, they were the team that ran the ball more than anybody else. And 
Dak Prescott for all of his ability to win games isn't necessarily the best pure passer. Uh, Dez didn't have a great season, but good enough. He was 20th in, in points in fantasy, 800 yards, 50 catches, eight touchdowns, and he missed three games as well. And the player who I picked up and was great in your PPR league was Cole Beasley, who was also playable, 40th in points, but 20th in catches. He had 75 catches, mm. five touchdowns. Mm-hmm. He was great in your league. I mean, I picked him up off waivers. It was great. And Jason Witten was definitely playable at tight end. He was 15th best in points. But again, if you were a PPR person, he was sixth. He had the sixth most receptions uh, in the tight end position. So you, you just basically up and down every position in the Cowboys. You, you could get somebody. I think the exciting thing about the Cowboys as a fantasy um, with fantasy product, I mean, first of all, they're just replete with uh, great players on their team in terms of fantasy. But uh, I always like a team where you could potentially own the quarterback, the running back and a wide receiver and not feel like you were poaching your own points. Yeah, that you could actually own all three of those players and actually feel like you had a really solid team. Uh, And and I would even maybe throw in tight end there, too. I mean, Jason Witten's not the best, but. Obviously, you know, if you're looking for like a later round um, draft guy or a low dollar uh, guy at, at tight end, I think I actually picked up Witten off off waivers at one point this year uh, when I had a uh, tight end injury. So he was definitely um, good value. I think the one thing I, I, I'm cautious about with Cowboys is because of the national following, because of the popularity, because of the media bias toward the Cowboys, you wonder if they... Um, if when they have a great player like Ezekiel Elliott, like Dak Prescott, if those players get overrated in drafts, so they're going to be drafted a little too early if they're going to go for a little too much in auction. So I think definitely that's something to watch out for that, that, you know, these players might be um, uh, overvalued. But I remember Ezekiel Elliott came into this last season with so much hype around a rookie quarterback that had never really been tested, went for a lot in every draft that I was in, but totally performed. It was worth it. Played all 16 games. I mean, I I looked it up. He only had, I think, four or five games where he didn't have a touchdown. And I think he had 100 yards in many of those. He was just absolutely unbelievable. So consistent, too. I mean, anytime a guy can come into a league with that much hype around him, not really surprising anyone, but I think surprising me by actually meeting that expectation, uh, hugely rewarding. So, um Maybe I'm going to dock a point for potential to be overrated and overvalued in in drafts, um, but really great team fantasy-wise. Let's say 8.5 out of 10. 8.5 out of 10. I think it's a fair score. I think there are probably a few teams better that we'll see, but mm-hmm. You're, mm-hmm. Th- there aren't many. And it's getting nitpicky here, but, but there is a value to teams um, – where you can say not only are these good players, but they're good players that you can actually, um, you know, that aren't going to be hugely overrated. Yeah. But when you get to these high scores, you know, it's 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 good to nitpick a little bit. You've got to. I mean, this is how you're going to differentiate these teams. And number eight, and this I think is going to be, this is the most interesting category for any team. Is the owner a monster? And now I am going. To, <laughs> That's such an interesting uh, question. I'm Jerry going Jones. to lay out a case here. I don't think Jerry Jones is a monster, but I think he is a massive egomaniac, and I think <laughs> he is unique in his egomania in the NFL. And 
I'm not I'm not even sure if that's a, a plus or a minus, and that's for you to judge. But I'll just lay out the facts. First, he is the owner and general manager of the Cowboys, and he's been the general manager for his entire tenure <laughs> as the owner. I, I thought he was the only one, but it turns out he's not. There's one other. So for the Bengals, Superfan Tony's team, Mike Brown is the president slash owner of the team and the general manager. And interesting tidbit, Mike Brown is the son of Paul Brown, who the Browns are named after, which I don't even know. Yeah, what, that's crazy. What an interesting fact. But anyways, so he's the owner and general manager. Uh, he, he's only one of two. So that's already very uncommon. When they had uh, down season. So people would argue that, you know, when Jerry Jones bought the team in 1989, they won three Super Bowls in the 1990s. And everybody's like, oh, Jerry Jones is a genius. People argued that that was before there was a hard salary cap and he just sort of could outspend every right. other team right. and that and make right. up for his, his GM deficiencies. And after the hard salary cap was put in place, I mean, the Cowboys have been good, but for, I mean, they haven't been seriously competitive. They haven't gotten to an NFC championship game. They haven't gotten to any Super Bowls in really the last 15 years or even more than that. And so somebody asked him a few seasons ago when they the Cowboys were three and five and looking bad and they asked hey, do you think you should be the GM? He said, quote, I think that I know how our organization runs and I know the best way to make decisions for us. And that's the best way. I know what motivates me as an owner and causes me to basically do the best job I can. End quote. So basically, he's the best. He'll figure it out. There are many websites that exist for firing him. There's firejerryjones.com only as the GM. It's sort of the interesting thing about an owner who's also the GM. You can't fire an owner, which I would love right. to do right. as a Washington well. <laughs> football fan, but you can fire a GM. There can be public pressure to fire the GM, which, by the way, my team fired our good GM like a week ago for ridiculous reasons. Uh, but you can't fire him. I mean, if if not only he's going to be the GM, but he's saying, even when they're doing terribly, hey, I'm the best. I'm so good at a GM, even if we're doing badly. You look, you if you you got to believe in me, that's tough because yeah. he's sort of never yeah. going to never going to hire. He, he's also sort of he reminds me a bit of Donald Trump in not only sort of his word soup to various answers, but he likes to generate controversies. Basically, he likes to keep his name in the media. So even this season. The, Dak Prescott had two bad games in a row and Tony Romo had come back from injury and Jerry Jones sort of was he had an interview with Troy Aikman where he said hey the quarterback position is still up in the air and maybe Tony Romo could get it and he got a lot of blowback for that saying hey you know show some confidence in your man Dak and uh, a couple weeks later he did an interview where he said hey that's one of the things that makes sports interesting the, the uh, talking about the controversy and i do feed that i think there's some of me that wants to stir things up and that's probably intentional it's that ethos of like there's 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 no such thing as bad press exactly so he'll go i mean even what this season when things are going great das prescott has a couple of bad games he's going to the mean he's sort of leaking to troy aikman hey i don't know about maybe romo might cover it and and he's sort of doing this and and which might be against the against the interests of the team because what if Dak starts? You know, he's a, a creating this media frenzy that's going to affect Dak, but it, it just keeps his name in the media. Yeah, yeah. And I think if you look 
at uh, popular culture, Jerry Jones, he's in commercials. He's been in Pepsi commercials. He's been in Papa John commercials. He had a two-episode stint in Entourage. I mean, he just <laughs> wants to be out there. I mean, being being on Entourage is a good argument for being pretty monstrous. He, uh, I mean, he's sort of like the prototypical NFL owner, and he uh, he, he is this like flamboyant personality. Uh, I would say I definitely have a negative impression of Jerry Jones, but I've always kind of wondered, like, if you're a fan of that team, don't you want an owner who uh, is that invested in the team, who is out there trying to get the team as much attention, as much notoriety as possible, and who really does place a huge premium on winning. I mean, you don't get the sense from Jerry Jones like you do with other owners that he is going to be okay with multiple seven and nine, eight and eight seasons. Now, if you don't like the way he drafts players or his approach to free agency, you're kind of fucked because he's also the least likely NFL GM to get fired. Uh, Definitely. But, but, but I do think that, uh, uh, you know, a little bit like, if you're a Yankees fan with Steinbrenner or um, or, you know, if 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 you're a Chelsea fan of uh, um, in in the Premier League, like there's this benefit to those owners that aren't going to sit on their hands while their team is 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 mediocre. Now, before you and, give a score, hold on. OK, OK. We've got one other thing to add in. Uh, that's just his role as a GM, which I think is one part of his ownership and a very important part. Uh, but the second part is he did create Cowboy Stadium, a.k.a. AT&T Stadium, a.k.a. Jerry World. And it's by far the biggest stadium in the NFL. Uh, but it was paid for quite a bit by the good people of Arlington, Texas. They increased the sales tax by half a percent, the hotel tax by 2%, car rental tax by 5%. So the stadium cost $1.15 billion dollars. By far the most expensive stadium in the U.S., uh, but taxpayers paid a good 325 million of it. So he did also, in addition to his role as GM, as an owner, he did pay for a, a big bulk of the stadium. He did pay for like 800 million of it, but he did uh, take 325 million dollars from the good taxpayers of our. And you Texas. could argue that he's he's largely to blame for like the stadium creep in the NFL that now every owner wants to have these mega centers that have, you know, not just a stadium, but an amusement park and a mall and a church and whatever as part a of it. Church. So it's like, well, I, I don't know what's in there, you know? Uh, uh, I mean, you can see that the, the new stadium in LA is very much modeled after the one in Dallas. So, um, or even trying to one up the stadium in Dallas. So there is this like, competitiveness amongst NFL owners. I will say the other thing that I do know about Jerry Jones is that he was one of the owners that voted against the Chargers moving. Um, and, you know, some some I think said that that was maybe self-interested, didn't want another big market team in Los Angeles because he's at his competition. But also I think he was just public about there should be a team in San Diego. Wanted what that I market. read is he supported the LA Rams moving or the St. Louis Rams moving, but I, I didn't see it as a charge, but it wouldn't surprise me if he was, uh, they, they said he, the, the move from uh, St. Louis to LA was sort of uh, orchestrated among the owners by Jerry Jones. Right, right, right. Which sort of put him on the right side of the chargers because they were in competition with. Yeah. At one point. So yeah, you know, I, I think, uh, 
I think Jerry Jones is probably one of those owners that if you are a Dallas fan, you love him. If you're not a Dallas fan, you hate him. Uh, and so I think I am going to give him a 7 out of 10. 7 out of 10. Second highest thus far, but but for a very controversial owner, I would say it's a pretty good score. Number nine, rate the uniform and the logo. So the Dallas Cowboys, I believe, have one of the most iconic logos in all of professional sports that has been unchanged essentially since their inception, which is a blue star that is emblematic of Texas as the Lone Star State. They've added sort of a border to it. And then I think a couple few years later, they added another border to it. But uh, if you look at their helmets back from their like inaugural seat or well, whenever they put the logo on it to now, it looks pretty damn similar. So they're if nothing, if not for consistency on sort of what their brand is. Yeah, I mean, it's a little boring, but I kind of like the consistency and I like the classic nature of it. I like that, you know, the fans don't have to buy a new uh, jersey every uh, two years to keep up with the latest design. Yeah, I think I think it's pretty good. Not the most exciting. You know, the colors are not my favorite in the world, but uh, I I think it's all right. I'm going to give it a six out of ten. Okay, six out of ten. Number ten. Do they play a style of play you would enjoy watching? So as we sort of mentioned, very exciting offensive team last year they ranked third in offensive d of aoa only behind atlanta who was historically great and new england who's just always good they had the most rushing attempts uh in the league with 48.6 percent of their uh plays being rushes they were not first in rushing yards though they were only second in rushing yards per game behind buffalo which of course as we know was their running game was uh, orchestrated by their wizard, Anthony Lynn, who's now the coach of your Los Angeles Chargers. But either way, they're a team that likes to bully the other team, run the ball, and they did it to great success last year. Yeah, I love a team with a good run offense. I love a team that has a good offensive line. I I wish that their um, offensive or that their defense was a little bit more solid though they're all right they're not a terrible defense so i actually think i really do like the dallas style of play especially their style of play right now with ezekiel elliott and kind of um i appreciate that that old i mean now it's old maybe it's only 10 years old but it does feel old the nfl the old running back model of having one kind of every down back not having the running back by committee i really like that and i think it harkens back to my time as an LT fan and just how fun it is as a fan to root for that one really, really strong running back. So uh, I I think I honestly, you, you know, I hadn't really thought about this before the podcast, but I think I actually really do like their style of play. And I'm going to give them an eight out of 10 on this. Eight out of 10. That feels high, but it's the uh, highest score thus far. Yeah. That, look, it's a, it's an exciting team, especially I, look, if you've I, I got mean, them on your fantasy team. You love when they pound Ezekiel Elliott. Part of this part of this podcast and part of this process is about really breaking this down to its 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 individual elements and trying to not not be caught up in my preconceived notions. So, you know, I'm doing my best to do that, and uh, I'm a little bit surprised by some of these Dallas rankings, but I think I'm I'm being accurate. It's America's team. Number eleven. What is interesting about this fan base? So uh, they've got. 
definitely a few interesting things. First of all, they have the number one attendance in the league by far at 92,000 per game. A lot of this is because they have this giant stadium that has a lot of standing room. But even still, they get 92,000 people to pack their stadium every week. Second best is the Giants, who are 78,000. So they are massively ahead. Uh, The scientific study I talked about last week with Denver puts the Cowboys second place in terms of fans spending money on the team. Mm -hmm. Nielsen ranks them as the number one team overall and the number one team in drawing national audiences. Uh, So in 2016, they played five national games in a row from weeks 12 to 16. The Thanksgiving game, Thursday night football game, two Sunday night footballs, and then a Monday night football in a row. And earlier in the season, they had played two primetime games. So out of their 16 games that they played, seven of them were in front of a national audience. And they were sort of credited with saving the NFL's flagging ratings. By I mean... Towards the end of the season, they just put the Cowboys in every game and people tuned in to watch. (laughs) So this is a fan base that's absolutely engaged in their team. And they're just, you know, when you talk about the Cowboys, everybody in the country knows about the Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, what it's sort of the opposite of the Browns fan base. Like you can imagine, even when your team is bad, it's not really hard to be a Cowboys fan. Like you get to be a Cowboys fan. You get to be part of the largest group of NFL fans in the entire country. Definitely. Uh, And I think you get rewarded for that. So on one hand, I think uh, that's a great, that would be fun to be a part of. It'd be fun to be part of that national fan base. You get to see a lot of primetime games. You get a lot of media attention. Sort of goes back to what we talked about with the division. I think it would be a lot of fun to be part of that, part of that experience. On the other hand, I think, uh, you know, it, it, it can't help but feel a little bit bandwagony. You're part of this fan base of, I mean, shit, not to agree with Rob, but like, you know, of mostly people who have no interest in Dallas, they just pick the Cowboys to root for. So, um, so I could see how it might be a little bit hard to get over that too, of like, yeah, I'm just another random Dallas fan. Uh, I, I'm going to, uh, hedge a little bit here and say, I like the fact that it has this national following. Maybe it's a little too bandwagony for me. I'm going to just go five out of 10. All right, five out of 10. I think it's fair, if not a bit generous, but you know, these are people from Texas, Joe. I, I mean, that's, I think that's the point. Most of them aren't. Yeah, it's true. They wouldn't put them on nationally. Nielsen local TV rankings only put them at 15th, but they were by far number one in national rankings. All right, and finally, finish it off. Rate the drink, Joe. Straight whiskey. I hope you had yours neat, as Cowboys would have drank it. I mean, it's a little unfair to the, uh, to, you know, whatever poor Denver. I have to drink a Coors Light and and Dallas gets a whiskey. And, and as you know, Dan, I love whiskey. Uh, yeah, look, it's great whiskey. I, I've i had Johnny Walker Blue before, so I could attest to um, Mr. Jones's uh, great taste in liquor. So, yeah, I, I think, uh, well, whiskey itself is a 10 out of 10. No question in my mind about it. However... I will say I do have a little bit of a disappointment that there wasn't a like easy to find uh, nationally distributed Dallas or Texas distilled whiskey. If whiskey is so iconic to cowboys, shouldn't they be making something? And I'm sure they make many whiskeys in Dallas, but shouldn't there be some whiskeys that are that you have um, that has national availability? Well, I don't think I don't think whiskey is 
whiskey is not a, a Texas thing. It was just the sort of, it's just an easy thing to drink in the Wild West. Whiskey can almost be anything. And it, it was, can totally. be made from any. I think that's what whiskey is. It's just like random alcohol brewed for, or distilled from whatever. Look, I'm just saying if whiskey is so iconic to cowboys, they should be making some good whiskey in Texas. So I'm going to give whiskey a 10. I'm going to give their lack of it in Texas a five. Let's put that in half, seven and a half. Okay. That's as unscientific as you can get, but. No, that's, there, there was some math there, Dan. Come on. What does this get us? The total score for the Dallas Cowboys, 79.5, by far our highest. Our next highest is the Broncos and the Chargers, wow. who are at 62. So I am going to uh, safely put them in the maybe pile. I think I, th- I think when we say whether a team is going to be a maybe or going to get left behind, I feel like we need a little bit more fanfare around that, like some kind of like I don't know, like a drum roll or like a I like you just did it without even asking me. Yeah, well, there's nothing to ask. What are you going to say? No. I mean, maybe. Look, look, the points are going to be part of what ultimately d- determines the team that I pick, but some of it is the gut check of whether or not they move on or not. Okay. But yeah, they Joe. move on. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Great. Thanks. Joe, we have to get to the second part of our doubleheader. So we're not going to announce the next teams right now because we're going to wait. The next until team is the Eagles. Well, yeah, but everybody knows that from the last episode. Anyways, we're we're moving on to the second part of our doubleheader. We've got time constraints here. We'll announce the next teams at the end of the next episode. Wow, great episode, Joe. See you yeah, all right. in Go five Cowboys. minutes.